0: Did y'all hear that? What was that? Okay. What do you say, eagles? aliens. Aliens. Oh, that's a good start of the sermon. So picture Dallas, Houston, and Dripping Springs. Okay, everybody got that in your mind? So if you don't, if you're not from Texas, if you're far off. So picture, you know, a couple of big cities and then a small town. Would that can see, you know, that that's within distance. I say this, I really did have that planned. This is part of the sermon. I say that because so much of the Bible, but especially the message of the prophets, is dependent on your knowledge of geography. And most of us don't carry around in our heads all the time, every day, thinking about, well, Israel's in the north and Judah's in the south and the desert was south of that. That's going to play into how we read Obadiah, but because we don't think in those terms, think of Dallas, Houston, and you can't go farther south, but go west to like a little town like Dripping Springs. So I mention that because... Everybody who lives in Dallas thinks that Dallas is the greatest place. We live in Houston, know that we're better than Dallas. And, and I grew up in Dallas, but I actually like living here better. But Dripping Springs, I picked that town because there's towns all over Texas that think, oh, this is just the greatest place in the world, and you could not pay me to live in Houston. Have you ever heard that? Man, when I was in the motorcycle club and we had all these small towns and they heard you were from Houston, I heard that all the time. You couldn't pay me to live in Houston. I was like, yeah, but I bet we could pay your children. Let's go they come here anyway. And I actually said that sometimes, and I was right. Anyway, Dallas, Houston, another town. So I'm saying that because once you get to Obadiah in the prophets, you have history that precedes what goes on in Edom. And this is what it looks like. A guy named Amos, decades before Assyria, swept in, grabbed everybody out of the north, and took them into exile. Amos came and said, you are about to be taken out of your homeland and carried off into exile. Now, to the south, in Judah, in Jerusalem, was a group of people who watched that happen to their north and said they got what they deserved. But then a little over a hundred years later, the Assyrians were taken over by the Babylonians and the Babylonians wanted to be an even bigger empire. So guess what they did? They went empire building and they came for the people in Jerusalem to the south, grabbed them up, took them into exile. And Jeremiah is the prophet who stood there and said, look at what's happening. Well, there was this little town just to the south who thought that they were the greatest place that ever lived. And they put complete confidence, not in just their history, but the specific location where they lived. And they used to say things like, you couldn't pay me to live in Jerusalem. You couldn't pay me. To live in northern Israel. Why? Because we live in Edom. And we have mountains and we have the cliffs. In fact, we are so confident in our cliffs where we live because no one has ever been able to come in and overtake us. Because look, we have geography on our side, we have the mountains. Army's not going to be able to come up these mountains. And so, we have this. And prophets would occasionally come in and say, don't forget God. And then they would say, okay, but look where we live. And so a prophet named Obadiah came in to a group of people who looked at Israel and Judah, north and south, and said, they got what they deserved. And Obadiah comes in and says, you're next. And they probably said, no. Nobody's going to be able to come in and take us. I mean, we're in Edom. This is is the greatest place in the world. And you know what happened? I'll read you the story right before it happened. The book of Obadiah, what was originally called the Vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against it for battle. I will surely make you least among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. Your proud heart has deceived you, you that live in the clefts of the rock whose dwelling is in the heights. You say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers by night, how you would have been destroyed... Would they not steal only what they wanted if great gatherers came to you? Would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures searched out. All your allies have deceived you. They've driven you to the border. Your confederates have prevailed against you. Those who ate your bread have set a trap for you. There's no understanding of it. On that day, says the Lord, I will destroy the wise out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau. Your warriors shall be shattered, O Teman, so that everyone from Mount Esau will be cut off. For the slaughter and violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever." On the day you stood aside, on the day that strangers carried off your brother's wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were like one of them. But you should not have gloated over your brother on the day of his misfortune. You should not have rejoiced over the people of Judah on the day of their ruin. You should not have boasted on the day of their distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people on the day of their calamity. You should not have joined in the gloating over Judah's disaster on the day of his calamity. You should not have looted His goods on the day of His calamity. You should not have stood at the crossings to cut off His fugitives. You should not have handed over His survivors on the day of His distress. For the day of the Lord is near against all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For you have drunk on my holy mountain. All the nations around you shall drink. They shall drink and gulp down and shall be as though they had never been. But on Mount Zion there shall be those that escape, and it shall be holy. And on the house of Jacob shall take possession of those who dispossessed them. The house of Jacob shall be a fire the house of Joseph aflame, the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor in the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, those of Shephalah, the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of the Israelites who are in Halah shall possess Phoenicia as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Shephard shall possess the towns of the Negev. Those who have been saved shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. I was talking on the phone to... A friend of mine in 1989, she had just gone to Harding. She was a year before me. And we were on the phone just talking. We hadn't talked to each other in a few months. We grew up in youth group together. I think she probably reached that sort of two to three months into college. And she was lonely, homesick kind of stage. Let's call someone familiar. So we were talking on the phone. Just enjoying conversation, and I'll never forget, she went, Oh my goodness. And she just fell silent and then said, What? She said, The Berlin Wall is falling down. So, what do you mean? They're tearing down the Berlin Wall. For those of you who did not grow up, Anywhere post-World War II, all the way up through the 80s, it's going to be hard for you to imagine what it was like to grow up during that time. But let me give you one glimpse, and you'll at least be able to catch an idea of what it was like, especially for someone like me to be a child and then a teenager in the 70s and 80s. There was one definitive truth by which we lived. All Russians were bad. No matter what, that was the definitive truth. All Russians were bad. They were either evil killers like Ivan Drago in Rocky IV, or they were dummies like the comedian Yakov Smirnov, or they were evil dummies like Boris and Natasha in Rocky and Bullwinkle, but you could always count on them to be consistent as our enemies. Didn't matter if it was a serious movie, like a James Bond, or Spies Like Us. It just, that was the enemy. And so I remember when she said, Berlin Wall is falling, end of communism, the Iron Curtain fell. I remember looking back, it was, oh, we're celebrating that these people get to go free. No, we were celebrating because the bad guys got what they deserved. That's really what it was like to be at the end of the 80s and 90s. They got what they deserved. And I remember vividly being in college in the early 90s when the Iron Curtain was still coming down. And I heard missionaries and mission organizations and all manners of groups like that saying, it's our job to go to the fallen you know, behind the Iron Curtain to give them Jesus. And thank goodness they got what they deserved. And I was, I mean, even then I was like, something didn't feel right about this. Something feels off about this. And then I started meeting people who grew up behind the Iron Curtain. And then I heard a song. And it was a song by the guy who used to be the lead singer of a band called The Police. Who just called himself Sting, and he had this song called Russians, and it was this song that over and over again talked about how the Russians love their children. And I remember hearing that, and because I was a child of the eighties, I was like, "Nah, no, not the Russians. They don't love their children. It's the Russians." And you meet some, and you realize, no, they do. There's some shared humanity. There's some shared gospel. Believe it or not, there were people in Russia before 1990 who had already heard of Jesus. And they lived faithfully under some pretty oppressive circumstances to be sure but they loved jesus and they loved their children the sin of the hearers of amos to the north jeremiah in the south and obadiah way south the sins Of these people over hundreds of years, it's pretty much all the same. You know what the sin was? They forgot to love their neighbor. They forgot, the people of Edom forgot that the people of Jerusalem and the people of Israel were all where they were because of the hand of God. And they quit telling that story. Edom, look where we are. Jerusalem, we have the temple. It was the same sin. Obadiah came and said, You're putting all of your faith in the cliffs and the mountains and the clefts of the rock when you should have been putting your confidence all along in God. You quit telling that story. But do you remember Jonah and Nahum, the guys who talked? to Nineveh, the bad guys, Assyria. You remember what happens when Nahum says, y'all are all going down, and then Jonah comes in and says, weren't y'all paying attention to Nahum? Y'all are all going down. You remember what the people of Nineveh did? They repented, and God said, good for them. We're going to save them anyway. Where's your confidence? Like today, us, not them, not all that. Today, right now, where do you place your confidence? Empires do not last. History is not on the side of empires, but God is with his people. And we are here together in the name of Jesus. Where is your confidence? There is a section of verses toward the end of the New Testament that helps put everything in perspective. And it's from a book that has complete respect for the history of God's people. the book of Hebrews. It knows how to tell the story of God's people. But toward the end of the book in chapter 11, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. God is still in the business of making worlds. But I'm here to tell you today, especially based on what we hear after the teaching of Jesus and those who came after Jesus, that the worlds that God is creating now are empires of hearts, just like the one that we see in this room. This place is an empire of hearts. It's not a location. It's not buildings and mountains. It's an empire of hearts. 1 Corinthians 6 reminds us with a question. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? This is where we are today. We are people who are receiving the promises of God. We are the people of God. It's not about buildings and mountains. It's that we here together are gathered in the name of Jesus. Let us never forget to love our neighbor. Let us never forget to love Our neighbor. This is who we are as the people of God. Amen.